Welcome to 1.5 Celsius, a podcast that makes understanding the science behind the climate crisis simple. I'm your host, Kirthi, and I'll be talking about all things related to global warming and what you can do to help save our planet. I am back after a long hiatus to bring you a follow-up to episode 9, which compared solar, wind, and nuclear energy to fossil fuels. This time, we're focusing on another popular sustainable energy triad, hydropower, geothermal energy, and biomass. Since I already gave you the rundown of renewable energy versus fossil fuels in episode 9, I'm just going to jump right in. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go do that first, and then come back here. I can wait. Like last time, we'll be looking at their cost, environmental impact, and trying to assess the feasibility of each one of these options. Anyway, let's start off with hydropower. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like hydropower isn't talked about a lot, even though it's the most widely used source of renewable energy. It currently makes up 54% of the global renewable power generation capacity and 31% of the U.S.'s energy power generation. It's also one of the oldest sources of clean energy. It was called white coal in the 20th century because of its abundance. As you may have guessed, the most popular form of hydropower generation is dams. Hydroelectric dams like the Hoover Dam or the Three Gorges Dam in China create reservoirs from which water can be released to drive turbines, producing energy. But hydropower facilities can be on a much smaller scale as well, taking energy from irrigation ditches and water facilities. Some are even dammless, running parts of streams through powerhouses, which are areas that have generators and turbines. These are typically called run-of-the-river systems. Okay, now moving on to some pros and cons. Like many other renewable energy sources, hydropower is classified as clean energy, and I say that in air quotes, because it doesn't produce emissions or air pollution when being used. Perhaps just as important is their ability to store vast amounts of water. So even during seasons of drought, we can have water for commercial and domestic use. Hydroelectric dams can also support remote communities by supplying power to different areas, and they can help increase the quality of living for residents and improve the economy. It's a win-win. Naturally, the lake that forms behind the dam also comes with the added recreational appeal for fishers, swimmers, boaters, is that a word, and such. For tourists, dams can be another semi-exciting attraction, as people do go and see the Hoover Dam. Now again, the contingency here is that although producing electricity doesn't actually emit greenhouse gases with hydroelectric generation, the construction of the dam does. To add to that, areas near the dam are full of plants beneath the water. When you build the dam, these plants begin to rot and break down. Since plants actually store carbon while they're alive, their decomposition releases CO2 and methane back into the atmosphere. This is because they undergo anaerobic decomposition, which just means they break down without oxygen. Dams also interrupt the natural water flow of the river they're located on, and lots of aquatic creatures tend to migrate along the stream of the water to lay eggs or look for food. Interfering with water patterns can lead to fish deaths, so it's hard to determine where exactly to locate them. Another issue with building dams is that areas downstream from the dam are at a risk for flooding, and they can cause damage to the land on which they're constructed. When the Hoover Dam was built, the surface of the earth underneath was depressed, by which I mean sunken in, not that the land was sad, but I guess that wouldn't be completely wrong by a stretch of the imagination. And here's where we again talk about what everyone is really thinking about. How much does hydropower cost? 
Like nuclear and wind, the upfront costs for dams are pretty steep. The total construction cost of a hydropower facility is around $2.5 billion, at least as of 2016. But the average cost per kilowatt hour is 0.85 cents, which is incredibly nominal if you ask me. For context, this is about a fourth of the cost of natural gas and 40% of the cost of fossil energy. It's also cheaper than nuclear energy, which is another sustainable energy source. All right, now we're moving on to geothermal energy. As per its rather self-explanatory name, geothermal is really just heat energy from the Earth. The energy comes from hot water reserves deep underneath the ground, which can be naturally occurring or man-made. The reason these underground sources of water are kept so hot is because of the Earth's core. Deep inside the Earth, radioactive isotopes like potassium-14 and thorium-232 decay and emit large amounts of radiation. This emits heat, which can reach temperatures of up to 5,000 degrees Celsius, which for us Americans is around 9,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, okay, sorry, science lecture over. Anyway, this heat essentially helps heat aquifers, streams of underground water that can be accessed to generate energy. There are a couple different ways to access geothermal energy, the most common of which is called flash steam. These are power plants that use naturally occurring sources of water or steam. People can pump really hot water into an area with lower pressure, and the water will turn into steam really quickly, which is then used to power a turbine. There are also dry steam power plants that can pipe underground steam into turbines, although the only two known sources of underground steam at the moment are Yellowstone National Park and the geysers in California. There are also binary cycle power plants. For these, hot water heats a liquid compound with a lower boiling point than water, creating steam that runs a generator to produce energy. Afterwards, the water in the pipe can be recycled to replace the process. One of the upsides to this is that the only emissions produced in the process comes from the steam. One of the pros of geothermal energy is that it's virtually limitless. Earth will continue to generate heat for billions of years to come, so we don't need to worry about running out of power anytime soon. However, specific geothermal wells will cool with time if the heat is extracted too quickly. And while re-injecting water can slow down that cooling process, it can also lead to micro-earthquakes. As their name implied, micro-earthquakes can be trivial, but more dangerous ones, such as the one that occurred in Basel, Switzerland, can force the project to be shut down. Another benefit of geothermal energy is that it's baseload, so it can work throughout the year without fluctuating due to external factors. Think of wind and solar energy, which only run as long as the sun is shining or the wind is blowing. Also, geothermal plants require less space to build than most other types of power plants. And finally, geothermal energy is relatively clean. They require small inputs of fresh water, which can be recycled in binary cycle plants, like I just mentioned, and most systems' only emissions are water vapor. On the other hand, geothermal energy can cause land subsidence. When fluids are pulled up from the underlying rock layer, the decrease in pressure actually causes the land below to sink down physically. Obviously, any buildings that were constructed on top of the land will be pretty badly damaged as well. Another potential problem centers on water toxicity. The water from geothermal systems can pick up harmful metals from underground, like arsenic and mercury. 
If the system isn't currently insulated, the contaminated water can leak into water sources that humans access. Like many other sources of energy, the upfront cost of installation of a geothermal plant is pretty expensive. It can range from $10,000 to $80,000. I know this is a pretty big range, but that's because the price varies drastically depending on the size of your house, the type of system being installed, other modifications, and whether your home has good insulation. However, the cost per kilowatt hour is usually around three cents, which is fairly cheap when compared to fossil fuels. Fossil fuels stand at 12 cents per kilowatt hour on average. Still, geothermal is more expensive than wind, solar, and hydropower. Overall, geothermal seems to be a promising source because of how reliable it is, but the costs and possible environmental consequences are definitely something to consider. The final energy source I'll be covering today is biomass, which is arguably the simplest type of renewable energy to understand. I'm sure this will be a welcome change from all the science I've been throwing at you. In essence, using biomass is just burning organic material to generate heat. One of the most common sources of biomass is wood, which has been used for centuries even before fossil fuels were discovered. We know because there were wood-burning fireplaces. Other plants, like food crops and grasses, as well as algae, are also commonly used. The energy from biomass is first created when plants perform photosynthesis, converting sunlight, water, and carbon dioxide into carbohydrates, and it also releases oxygen gas as a waste product. The carbohydrates are typically stored in the plant, which has to be dried prior to burning, in a process called torrefaction. During torrefaction, the biomass material is heated to about 200 degrees to 230 degrees Celsius, which is 390 to 610 degrees Fahrenheit, causing the mass to lose the ability to absorb moisture. Afterwards, the blackened material is compressed into briquettes that are burned to produce energy. An alternate way of heating biomass is through pyrolysis, which creates three components, a solid, liquid, and gas component all of which can be burned in the same manner as briquettes. Like most other types of energy, the heat produced from biomass combustion can be used as a direct heat source or to spin a turbine and generate electricity. With that being said, most of the pros of biomass are pretty obvious. Wood is cheap and it's pretty abundant. It can also help reduce waste. Organic waste like manure and landfill trash can also be used as a substitute. Also, unlike wind or solar, biomass isn't intermittent and the energy produced comes on demand. Right now, one of the largest issues with biomass is deforestation. Since wood is so widely used as an energy source, it would naturally follow that people are cutting down trees in order to get wood to burn. I won't insult your intelligence because I'm sure you know by this point that deforestation is bad, so I will just leave that there. On top of that, biomass is most widely used in developing nations because of how cheap and abundant it is. But that means that biomass is often burned in areas where it can pose a health hazard. If I'm burning manure inside my house with really poor ventilation, there are particulate pollutants galore being released. Some of these pollutants can cause respiratory illnesses, including lung cancer. And also because plants and animals sequester carbon where they are alive, burning biomass does release carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. However, 
Biomass is theoretically considered net zero because it's releasing carbon that was originally in the atmosphere back into the air, while fossil fuels are putting carbon from thousands of years ago back into the atmosphere. An alternate method of utilizing biomass is by processing them to create biofuels, such as ethanol or biodiesel. In the US, ethanol is produced primarily from corn and corn byproducts, as the starches and sugars in these plants can be converted to alcohol via fermentation. It can serve as an alternative to traditional gasoline, but because of the way our car engines are built, pure ethanol can't just replace oil. Yes, this is the same ethanol that is in your drinking alcohol. Usually, one part ethanol and nine parts gasoline are mixed to create a fuel dubbed gasohol. Very creative. Unfortunately, burning gasohol still does produce a large amount of carbon emissions when used, but the ethanol does help the fuel produce fewer air pollutants. Since biofuels require a lot of crops to create, there remains a lot of concern with its impact on the agriculture industry. If you're planning more of just corn to use for biofuel, then there isn't as much room for other types of crops, and you're creating a monoculture that can strain the environment because there's less biodiversity. You'd also need a lot of pesticides to upkeep your corn production, which can run off into waterways and cause eutrophication. If you're curious about eutrophication, listen to episode two. One potential solution is using switchgrass instead of corn, which requires less energy produced. And because switchgrass is also a perennial, it doesn't need to be replanted every season. The drawback to using switchgrass is that it's mostly made of cellulose, which has to be broken down into simple sugars before you can use it for biofuel. And as of right now, we haven't quite figured out a great way to do that at a larger scale. But let's keep our fingers crossed. Biomass as a source of direct heat is pretty cheap, because all you really need is wood and a fire. At its essence, that's what biomass is. But if we want to make electricity, you're going to need a power plant. At this point, you can probably guess what I'm about to say. Installing the plant is expensive, but generating electricity is cheaper. Installation costs range from $3,000 to $4,000 per kilowatt hour, but generation costs are only around 15 to 80 cents. It's definitely pricier than most sources of renewable energy, but the fuel source is easier to obtain. And the cost of mining fossil fuels is definitely greater than the cost of, say, cutting down a tree to get wood. The cost competitiveness of biomass is a little iffy, but I don't think it's bad enough to eliminate it as an option altogether. Let's sum things up. Today we looked at three other major sources of renewable energy, namely hydropower, geothermal, and biomass. Hydropower generation is typically done using hydroelectric dams, which creates a reservoir that runs a turbine to produce electricity. Geothermal energy is produced from the decaying isotopes underneath the Earth's surface, and biomass is organic material that can be combusted to produce heat energy. Hydroelectric dams can produce methane from the organic matter that decays without oxygen underneath the reservoir, and biomass releases carbon dioxide from the organic material back into the atmosphere. Geothermal plants can also produce trace amounts of sulfur dioxide and other GHGs. In terms of their cost, biomass is the most expensive, followed by geothermal, and finally, hydropower is the cheapest. All three of these sources are baseload, so that means they don't rely on external factors to generate a consistent supply of electricity. However, 
Geothermal plants can cause land subsidence, while hydroelectric dams pose a risk of flooding downstream. Biomass can also be converted to biofuel through fermentation, although this does pose questions of how to generate crops for biofuels in a way that doesn't hurt the economy or the environment. All in all, there is no clear winner, but all three can be used in tandem to wean nations off of fossil fuels. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to follow it so that you don't miss any future updates and share it with anyone who might be interested. You can also leave us a rating on Spotify to help support the show. See you next time!